Okay, we have um, one of our young families today coming to dedicate their children to the Lord, and so if they'll come right now, please, bring in the whole clan here. Okay, good deal. Come on up here, folks, on the platform. You know, there is biblical precedent for dedicating uh, your children to the Lord. And, of course, it's been a custom uh, for churches for years to do this. Uh, Tony and Lachelle were baptized last Sunday, if you were here in the service. And uh, they're making a real statement in their life. Uh, Lachelle was raised in the church. And uh, they're making a statement in their life that uh, they're drawing a line in the sand and saying, listen, in effect, this is what you're saying. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. And, I, and I, we really honor that here in our church, don't we? And it's so important. You know, when you have young kids come into the family, uh, then the weight of, of eternity and everything else drops right on you. And uh, they said, listen, we're going we're gonna to go in the right direction as a husband and wife, and uh, we're going to now lead our children in that same direction, and we, we just want to do what's right to do. We want to get up in front of the church and we want to dedicate our children to the Lord. We have little Michael Anthony, and uh, he was born on October 28, 2011. And then we have Serena Michelle, and uh, she was born February 16, 2009. So they have literally their hands full, right? They do. Uh, in the Bible, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was a person who just needed a child. You know, women have that thing about them, you know, just let me put my hands on that kid. And she prayed and she, she, they worked and worked and couldn't have a child. And she finally got so desperate with God. She, she said, Lord, if you give me this baby, I'm going to give this baby right back to you. And so the Lord says, that sounds like a deal to me. And so Hannah got a little boy. His name was Samuel. And God opened her womb gave her this child. She loved it dearly. And she said, Lord, I'm going to keep my vow to you. And so she came back to the Lord. And this is what she said. Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord. This is an act of worship, uh, dedicating your children to the Lord. And so I ask you, in front of the congregation, Tony and Lachelle, is this your heart's desire to raise your children in the ways of Christ? Yes. Now, we want to encourage them as a church family. And if you will join with me to help them in the days ahead around the church, would you stand together as we pray the prayer of dedication? Uh, you know, raising kids takes uh, grandma and grandpa, great-grandma and grandpa, uh, and, and the church. And, you know, it's so great to have a good church to send your kids to. You know that? It just, it just puts the icing on the cake. And you're the church. And so let's bow our heads together. Dear Lord, we come into your presence today um, at this time of dedication uh, for Michael Anthony and Serena Michelle. Uh, it's uh, Tony and Lachelle's desire this morning to go on record uh, right here in, in our little corner of the world before our congregation 
And uh, on the record in heaven, Lord, that they're drawing a line in the sand. Uh, they're heading out to serve you with all their heart, and they want their children to grow up to love you. And so we bring each one of these children to you, and we dedicate them to you, and we know that the mother and father has already dedicated themselves to you before they walked up on this platform this morning. So we dedicate them to you right now as a church family, and we pray your mighty blessing upon them in the days ahead. We pray it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all the Lord's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. God bless you. For your great kids. Okay, let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of John, chapter 17. John, chapter 17, we have what is known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, and I, I know you'll be surprised when you look at it and you'll say, well, that's not the Lord's Prayer that I'm aware of. Well, let me say this to you that. Uh, you and I learned the Lord's Prayer, and that was a good thing from this high, right? And that Lord's Prayer was mentioned in Matthew chapter 6. But technically, and I'm just splitting hairs right here, okay? Technically, this is the Lord's Prayer. But since we've been calling the other one that for so long, we're not proposing to change the name of it. It's the Disciples' Prayer. We call this one the Lord's Prayer because this is the one the Lord prays. Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Uh, Jesus here goes on record in his prayer talking about eternal life. Uh, the mission upon which God the Father sent God the Son into the world was to offer you and me the gift of eternal life. And after everything is said and done, that's what's important, eternal life. Because all of us are headed to eternity. And so, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as have given him. And he defines eternal life in the next verse. This is eternal life that you may know him. Now, in my Bible, I've circled the word know like this because that means this. That means to know God the Father and God the Son experientially. And, you know, we throw around the church the old worn-out saying, personal relationship with Jesus, you know. Even though it's an old statement and I think it's overused, it's still a good statement. And so you can write that in there, personal relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what eternal life is. It's just not knowing that there is a God or knowing that there is a Savior. It's actually knowing God and actually knowing Jesus in a personal relationship, for the lack of a better term. And this is eternal life that you may know that... They, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, I have glorified you on earth, and I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. He says, I yearn to be back in heaven again. You can imagine. I, I guess we can't imagine, but we try to imagine how Jesus wanted to go back to be 
in the Father's presence in heaven. After spending 33 years digging in the dirt of humanity. And this is what he says. Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given to me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. It's interesting that in the first part of this prayer, Jesus prays for himself. Then he turns his uh, direction in prayer to the disciples, that little group that he's been working with uh, through these, this three-year period. He's been mentoring them, and, in, and on them, he is counting them to go take his message around the world, literally. And so Jesus starts to pray for them. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world. Jesus here is looking at his death, burial, and resurrection as history almost, as, as though it's actually happened. I'm no longer in the world, and I have come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. So he prays for a while for his disciples. And then he does something that, that's, that was always surprising to me. He lifts up his eyes, and he looks to the future. And he sees you, and he sees me, and he prays for us. Look at verse number 20. I do not pray for these alone, that's his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. And I've written in my Bible, future believers, right there. Because every generation of believers are important to God. And you know, we're looking at the kids in our church. There were so many of them here this morning. They were like ants running all over this place. You know, the choir was up here trying to practice and all the choir kids, they're like wreaking havoc on the church hallways. And, and I like that, really. I, every now and then I hear a parent say, listen, don't run in the church. And I tell the kid, go ahead and run in the church. Go ahead. We want you. We're so thankful to God they're here. You can't stop a kid anyway from running the church. Those aisles are too tempting. Do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. <clears throat> he prays for unity. You know, in every generation, the different styles and modes of prayer are unique. You know, in our generation, we were raised with the whole idea that you couldn't really pray to God unless you bowed your head and did what? Close your eyes, right? Because how many hundreds of times have we heard that statement? Now let's bow our head and close our eyes, you know? And so we think, wow, that's the only way you can pray. But that isn't the only way you pray. Uh, you can pray in any position you want to pray in. And it's believed that Jesus here is leaving the upper room and he's walking along. Uh, maybe the road, and he looks up to heaven and he begins to pray. And uh, this is the prayer that John Knox, one of the reformers, 
uh, read over and over in his lifetime. And when he was about to die, he asked his wife, or his wife asked him, honey, where do you want me to read? And he replied, read where I first put my anchor down in the 17th chapter of John. We have a record of many, many famous Christians who have read this passage of Scripture over and over. In fact, Dr. Fisher, who was Bishop of Rochester under Henry VIII, had this read as the last portion of Scripture before his martyrdom. You know, in the Bible, there are many prayers. Uh, when I think of those prayers, I think of a few especially. I think of the prayer of Moses back in Exodus chapter 32. Boy, Moses took on a hard job. You know that? When I think of my job and his job, he can have his job. God was about to obliterate the nation of Israel. But Moses was a magnanimous person and prayer with God. And he got right, if you will, in the face of God and pleaded with him that God would not extinguish the nation of Israel. And God didn't. It's a magnanimous confrontation. And then there was Solomon's prayer. He prayed at the dedication of the temple. And whenever he prayed, he knelt down on his knees and he held up his hands. He prayed, and that was his particular mode of prayer. And that was a good prayer. And then there was Abraham's prayer in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, remember, the Lord was on his way to Sodom because all the sins of Sodom had just come up under his nose and he couldn't stand it any longer. And he said, listen, I've got to do something about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so uh, Abraham again confronted God and he said, listen, God, if you find 50 people down there, will you not destroy that place? And they went back and forth and that was a famous prayer. But now we find uh, what is the most famous prayer in the Bible. And the reason why it's the most famous prayer is because the person who prayed it was the most famous character in the Bible, Jesus himself, God's son. And so I want you to notice with me. He says, Father, the hour has come. And that's interesting because many of you have been reading the, the Bible schedule that we have out there, and, and you've come already to these statements as you read through the book of John. Remember, Jesus was back at the wedding of Cana, and he said there, my hour has not yet come. And he said it several other times in John as well. His hour had not yet come. But now he makes this statement. It's time for this to take place. The goal is in sight, the finish line, the last lap before the checkered flag. For all those you guys are erasers. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know, a person's innermost thoughts are revealed in genuine prayer. You know that? Uh, I know it's hard for us to play, pray on the platform up here because we're, we're always trying to be conscious of the words that we're saying because we don't want to say the wrong words or offend anybody in the congregation or we don't want to come over uh, in less than a, uh, the right way. But, uh, you know, when you pray privately, you don't think about those things. You go in and close the door and you kind of let it rip, right? It doesn't have to come out just right. Jesus prayed for himself. He asked, first of all, to be glorified. That was the yearning of his heart. 
What did he mean by that? He meant that his mission would be completed. He came for that purpose. Uh, he wanted to manifest God's power in his death, resurrection, and ascension and give evidence that he was the Son of God. I think he was referring to the glory of the cross. Uh, and you may write that in the margin of your Bible. Glorify me. Send me to the cross. You know, before Jesus ascended to the cross, the cross was an emblem of humiliation. But now things are different. He was never more majestic than when he died on the cross. And the cross became a magnet. It really was. Every time you see the cross, it's like you have to stop and go. It's a magnet. The cross, you know what that cross says? The cross says that there is no limit to the love of God. There is no extreme to which the love of God will not go to save a soul. What is there that is higher of a sacrifice than the cross? There is nothing. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love there is none. And so God poured out his greater love on this world in that exhibition right there, the cross. Um, and I love the words of John 12, 32. Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The message of the cross is so different and so unique and so awesome and, and so magnetic that people can easily fall under the spell of it when they finally realize, like Debbie Donofrio did in 2001, sitting in the, uh, here in our church listening to the Christmas musical, she fell under the spell of it and realized that that was for me. He did that for me. It wasn't just a general story to her. And he says, okay, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Now, this is interesting. To give glory back to the Father. What does that mean? That means that the world would know that God's grand salvation plan that was prophesied and typified in the Old Testament, executed in the New Testament, was successful. That all of these prophets that God sent with all of these prophecies and all of these typical implications of a coming Messiah was indeed right because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and so therefore God looks so much more credible than before. He says, I want you to get the glory from this. So they would know for sure that I'm not just another rogue rabbi creating my own message, that my message actually does fit in with the prophecies of the Old Testament, that this indeed is a God thing. And then he says uh, something interesting in verse 2. And as you have given him authority over all flesh. Authority over all flesh. Uh, he said something similar to this in Matthew 28. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's kind of a startling statement when you look at Jesus ready to go to the cross. He has power over all flesh. He could make this universe and every individual in it bow to him. He could bring us all into subjection to him and make robots out of all of us, although that's the last thing he would want to do. He has the power over all flesh. He wants us to love him voluntarily. 
Um, and so he says, I have authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And eternal life, remember, is a relationship with the Father and the Son. And this was his passion. It's all about eternal life. I told the people in our first service, you know, uh, being in a church, you get, clo you get close to a lot of people. And, uh, and we dread the thought of losing them because we've spent so much of our life building a relationship with them. Uh, but, uh, but every now and then the phone rings and uh, our worst nightmare becomes a reality. And always when that happens, one of the first things that comes to my mind is this. This is why we do this work. This is why we do this work. This is not all just about our relationship with another person. This is about eternity. That's what it's about. It's about getting people ready to step across onto the other side. Uh, John 10, 27 is, uh, let's read this together. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Eternal life. Uh, that's what it's about. Jesus came into this world to die upon the cross so, and to offer you that eternal life. You know, before we begin to pray for others, we need to pray for ourselves. Let Jesus be our example here. He prayed for himself before he prayed for his little band of followers. And he talked about his own issues that were going on between the Father and the Son. I've had people come to me through the years and they, and they meant this from their heart and I was, they really surprised me. They meant it from their heart when they said, is it really right for me to pray for me? When there are so many other people that have so many other needs, should I pray for me? Isn't it wrong? Well, uh, it's not wrong to pray for me because you can't help anybody unless you, first of all, get your life right with the Lord. And the way you get your life right with the Lord is you pray for you. Um, it's not selfish. It's essential for you to pray for you. He says here that he's glorified his Father on earth and he's finished the work. Now, I love this in verse number four, and I, I just wish that I could take the rest of the time talking about this alone. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you've given me to do. This is what we call the finished work of Jesus Christ. Trusting in the finished work of Christ. This is where we get the term right here. You've heard people say, well, you know, we're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is it right here. Jesus said, I've finished the work. You know, we make a big deal in our church, and I hope we never stop making that big deal that you cannot work your way to heaven. It doesn't matter what you give or where you go or how many sacrifices you make, that will not get you into God's heaven. I remember a couple years ago, I was talking to an older gentleman in our church in our community and I said you know God doesn't have a point system and I thought he was going to pass out right on the spot honestly you should have seen the expression that came his face, his face became white 
It was almost like he lost the color in his face because he had been trying all of his life to get points with God. You know, if you do this good work, you get two points. If you do another, a bigger work, you get three points. And then if you did some bad things, you got points over here, and hopefully you got enough points by the end of life that God says, okay, you did good. But, you know, God does not have a system like that. There is not enough points in all the world to point a person into heaven. Except this verse. The work of Jesus Christ. That's the work that can get you and me into heaven. Not what we do, but what he has done. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished, right? That doesn't mean that it was finished almost. He meant it, it was finished. You know, whenever it's finished, anything that you add to that is an insult. Why would somebody in the world come with their good works and say, Lord, here, here, here. Will this help me get to heaven? And Jesus said so long ago, it's finished. It's done. There's nothing you can add to it. Well, uh, you know, Isaiah 64, 6 is still in the Bible. You know what it says? All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Titus 3, 5. But according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The washing of the Holy Spirit in your heart. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A person, good works are not to take place in order to be saved. They're to take place because we are saved. And that's what Ephesians 2.10 says. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, and he has created us good works before that we should walk in them you know uh, after we are saved we want to work for the Lord don't we when I rededicated my life to the Lord I, I was just I couldn't contain myself I'm still a little bit like that I couldn't contain myself how I wanted to work for Christ whatever anybody had going on I wanted to get involved in it you know don't leave me out now, after I got involved in a few things, they said, listen, we don't want him involved with us again. Let him be involved with someone else. But, you know, every time somebody's doing something in the church, I want to get my foot in it. Uh, one of our college kids came back, and they said, we're going, to have a, we're going to go downtown and witness. And I said, yeah, I want to go with you. They didn't seem very excited. Uh, I won't go there. Anymore. I like to be involved. Uh, and, and the reason why is because serving the Lord is a great joy. It really is. Because, you know, you're doing it for the right purpose. You're investing in something that is valuable. And so Jesus says here, listen, I've finished the work which you've given me to do. There's only one work, there's only one point that God honors for your soul salvation, and that's what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And the only way that that can be applied to your account is by your faith in that finished work. Your faith in that. I believe, Lord, that your work was enough for me to go to heaven, and I'm banking on that. 
Jesus prays for his disciples, his little flock. Uh, he is the intercessor. Uh, remember that the offices of the Lord are prophet, priest, and king. When Jesus came into this world, he did a lot of preaching. And now he's going to be doing a lot of praying. And he intercedes for his disciples. Um, he's given them, in verse number 8, I want you to notice this. Uh, he's given them the Father's words. For I've given to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them. Verse number 9, he has prayed for them. And in verse number 18, I want you to look over there quickly. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus came on a mission. He said, I've gathered these disciples of mine together, and now I'm sending them on. They're going to fulfill the mission that you sent me on. They're going to spread the message far and wide. They're going to take it and wrap it around the world. And so he said, Lord, I've sent these people out on this mission. And then he makes his request for them. In verse number 11, he prays for unity for them. In verse 13, he prays for their joy. In verse 15 and 16, he prays that they'll be safe. And then in verse number 17, he prays for their sanctification. And that's just a kind of a, a church word for Christian growth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Keep your disciples in the word. Keep them growing. You know, the way to stay excited about the Lord is to grow. If you don't grow, what happens to your excitement level? But when you grow, it's like, it just takes off. And so Jesus here is praying for his disciples to grow in the word. Uh, I don't think that there's, I think it was D.L. Moody that said one time, I've never known a growing, I've never known a growing Christian that wasn't a person of the word of God. I've never known anybody like that. And so here we find Jesus says the same thing. Sanctify them, help them grow by your truth. Your word is the truth. And then, and then a surprising twist. And this is one of the most surprising things to me about the John chapter 17 prayer, is that Jesus prays for the church. These men were going out on a mission. You know what they were doing? They were starting churches. A church over here, and they go to this town, and a church over here, and they put one there, and they go to the next town, and they put another church. A little spiritual family. A little enclave of believers who would gather together and take on their community for Christ. Boy, what a job. What a job that would be. Look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Um, Jesus hinted at this in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said this, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And it's interesting, you know what he prays for the church? He prays for the church something very similar that he prayed for his disciples. He prays for unity. Verse 20, 21, and 22. Unity. 
Unity is not just a human achievement, but it flows from a mature walk with Christ. You know, the more mature Christians that there are in the church, the more unity that there can be because we realize that we're working for a bigger goal. It's just not about what I want or what you want. It's about the goal. And so it helps us whenever we come in a situation to learn to back off for the sake of unity. Unity is a wonderful thing. You know that for the church. It really is. I remember here a couple of years ago, uh, there was a church in the news not too far from here, and they were having trouble, and boy, it wasn't a good testimony, you know. And I, uh, I felt sorry for them because it, it sets back everything the church is trying to do. Uh, church is something that comes uh, whenever Christians grow up and say, hey, listen, we all have our differences, but uh, we're not going to let them interrupt what we're trying to do here in the church. Uh, our, our goal is unity. And, and so it's interesting that Jesus here prayed for unity in, in, for, for his church. And, uh, and you know what unity does? It sends a message. John 13, 35 says this, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's a good testimony right there. Somebody in the community says, Hey, listen, I think the people up on the hill, they love each other. Well, maybe... I think they like each other, maybe. Maybe that's the term. Uh, that's a good thing. You know, there are enough obstacles. We don't need that obstacle. And so he prays for unity. And uh, that's, that's an excellent thing. And he prays for himself that his journey will bring glory to the Father. Uh, now, let me just summarize this this morning. Uh, Jesus prays, first of all, for himself, uh, that his journey will bring glory. And so I want to encourage you, you pray for yourself, yourself. Spend a lot of time praying for yourself, that your journey will bring glory to God. Because you know what? We get caught up sometimes and we say, well, you know, I'd just like to have a little piece of this glory. Uh... You pray that your journey will bring glory to God. And then Jesus prayed for his disciples. And, and, and I want to throw this on you. Okay, you ready? Uh, look around the church this morning. How many people in this room are struggling? How many people in this room have issues that they're dealing with? Addictions they're trying to break. Uh, marital problems. Financial problems. You name it, they got it. And Jesus said, listen, i got to pray because this is his flock right here. This is what God has. This is it. You and me. And so if Jesus thought enough to pray for his disciples because they were going to go out and be ravished, ravaged by the enemy, you and I need to do a whole lot more praying for each other. Each other. How many times, and I'm just throwing this out and I'm not trying to, Heap conviction on you. But how many times have you said, I want to write down every person's name in the choir. And I want to lift them to God and ask God to cast the evil spirits away from them so that they can stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How many times have I got the Sunday school teachers' names together and prayed over them? How many times have I looked down the aisle and saw Mr. and Mrs. Smith that shows up every week and I know they have issues. How many times have I really prayed for them? Or did I just come into church and say, oh, they have issues? 
And I, I feel pretty good about myself because I don't have their issues. We need to pray for each other a whole lot more, you know that? Because we are a part of the team. And uh, we are what God has in this place. And so Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then he prayed for the church of the future. And you know, the church of the future is like this young kid down there in Masontown, Pennsylvania. And it's like the young kids running around in the halls of our church here. That's the church of the future. And he prayed for the church of the future. I want to encourage you today, if you've never done this, to take a piece of paper like this, put a big circle on it. That's your circle of influence. Go home and start writing names in this circle. Your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your wider family, the people you work with, write their names. And you bring that out every day and you look at it and you touch it. And you start calling those names before God. And ask God to break the bondage that some of these people are in. To send people to touch their lives and to change their lives. And after you have prayed mightily over the list, I want to tell you what else to do. You start going to these people personally on the list to share your story of what Jesus Christ means to you. And how you could not contain yourself you could not contain yourself until you told them the story of the cross and how God loves them. And work through the list. And uh, before you, not too long, it would really be great that uh, in your circle of influence you would begin to see some of your family and friends and co-workers come to Christ. Uh, let's pray for the church of the future because they are the church of the future. The people you work with are. Uh, your family, they are. But let's do what we can do to make a difference in their life. And let's follow the example of our Lord. He prayed for those who have not believed as yet. Don't stop, don't give up on them, okay? Please, don't give up. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, Let's just think about the summary of all of this. Jesus prayed for himself first. Uh, I want to encourage you to become a big prayer of yourself. Go into every area, every detail of your life with God. Let him change those areas that need drastically changed and then, then let him change the areas that are not so drastic. But let him keep working on you to bring you to the person you need to be. Because you can't help anybody else unless you're standing up straight and strong in the Lord yourself. And then pray for the other people of the church. Look around you. Who needs prayer? Look around you this morning. Who's not here? Who's missed church for a month, six weeks? two months. You used to sit by them. Think about them. And then uh, the circle of influence. Take ownership of that.
Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus as he prays for himself, for his disciples, and for the church in the future, the believers that were going to accept you because of their message. Lord, help us to emulate this model in our own life. Help us not to be deterred, not to be impaired by the philosophy of the world, but to overcome uh, through the blood of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.